Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Dark Dry Drew here. Today is Thursday, January the 10th, 2019. 4 p.m. in New York, 1 p.m. in Los Angeles, 9 p.m. in London, 8 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. But wherever you are in the world listening either to the live stream or to the recorded podcast, thank you for tuning in once again to LOA Today, your daily dose of happy. And I'm glad to welcome back my uh, youngest co-host, Dark Dry Drew, who is, uh, we, we have an interesting show here. Every show, of course, here on, on LOA Today is a different show because of all the different people who are involved. But this one's particularly different because with Drew, we, we try to get into issues that really young people are interested in much more than older people. And, and Drew, it's proven to be an interesting formula because, first of all, you're getting a lot of help out of it. But I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that other young people are kind of getting the same kind of, you know, benefit out of it. What do you think? Is that actually happening or is that just my pipe dream? Um, that's a great question, man. I mean, that's, uh, it's always my goal to help young people. To mm-hmm. help, you know, what, what would I have wished people had said to me when I was, you know, even just a few years ago mm. and kind of trying to provide that for others, you know? Right. I think that we hopefully, uh, yeah, I think we reached that here and there. Well, hopefully it's true. And this is uh, a Q&A, so if you are tuned into the live stream, and I see people are, are coming into uh, the audience here, um, if you're listening to the live stream and you have a question or a comment or a topic you want us to address directly, by all means, type it into the comments section, and we will be happy to do so, uh, because uh, that's part of the way LOA Today works. LOA Today is a little bit unique in that we have audience participation. You don't get that on too many podcasts. There are a few that do, but not too many where you get that. So we actually combine that with, with conversation on stage here, so to speak. And I don't know. I think it's a pretty winning combination. We're getting some very loyal yeah. listenership. I'll say that. Very loyal listenership. So, so let's yeah, see. It takes- What's that? Go ahead. I'd say it takes it from just watching, you know, it's not people just watching us, but instead it's like it's a big group conversation. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, yeah, not only is it a group conversation, but I find that when we're conversing here on camera, so to speak, there is also cross-conversation going on in the comments section, which I think is really good. And a lot of the cross, uh, I mean, I I try to grab as much of the cross-commentary as I can to um, include in the conversation because a lot of it's really good advice. So we we, we have... uh, most of, of our loyal listeners are, I would describe as intermediate to advanced LOA deliberate creators. And it's great because when you, when you have that much expertise among your listenership, that, that's an educated audience. Uh, it keeps you on your toes, yeah. too. <laughs> it definitely keeps you on your toes. But no, I think it's really yeah. good that way. So, uh, well, let's see what's going on in your life that uh, we can help you with. I mean, you, you said earlier that you're kind of trying to get your stuff together and, and so forth. Anything particularly you're, uh, you're you're looking at that you know is giving you pause or so? Yeah, you know, I mean, you said that you were giving a lot of thought to stuff that we talked about in the past, but what what you been thinking about? Gosh, um, I mean, lately, lately I've just been trying to get organized. And on a superficial level, it doesn't sound particularly interesting. But uh, for me, I had to look back at my life across essentially uh, the past past eight years in particular. I'm at the point now where I'm like, I don't, like, if I went back to college, I don't think I could do it having already been through it. It's one of those (laughs) things where you really don't know what you're in for. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. College is a bit of a surprise to everybody when they first arrive there, I think. 
Yeah, exactly. So kind of looking back on all that and, and just figuring out that, like, I kind of thought I was organized, but I'm not very organized. What do you mean by organized, my though? Goal. Um, I guess not focused to some degree. I've got too many, you know, I'm working on uh, film projects, comedy projects, and YouTube channel, and, like, the list goes on and on to the point where there's, like, a thousand ideas, but nothing actually done most of the time. They're trying to figure out how to, like, realign everything so that now I'm, you know, I, I like at night now, I instead of messing around, I, I read uh, one to two hours before bed, and then that calms me down, and I stretch and meditate if I remember to. So, like, realigning everything so that I wake up a little bit less terribly. The, morning, the mornings are particularly bad for me. Why are they bad? I, I just, like, literally cannot wake up, and then all my stomach problems uh, arise in the morning. Mm. So, like, uh, like all the bad things in one. So, uh, yeah, I've been researching the chronotype, I think is what they call it, which is, like, uh, everyone's body is built for a certain sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. And so mine, they're like, best thing you could do would be to go to bed at midnight, which is close to what I'm at 2 a.m. Trying to, you know, realign stuff like that, like small things that kind of you begin to accept as just parts of life. Like, yeah, I just, you know, I go to bed late and I look and it's like, oh, wow, I've been going to bed like randomly for like eight years. I should probably fix that. It's so kind of like noticing really really small details in the everyday that are actually very large details in the grand scheme of your life. I, I may be barking up the wrong tree, but I'm going to go with a little theory that I've got and see how well my theory plays out. Um, because whenever I hear somebody talking about trying to organize, trying to get their schedule together, trying to work out the details like you're talking about, I reflect back to my own experience doing exactly the same thing. And what I learned through years of doing that, is that it's really that not that I'm, I'm disorganized. It's really not that I need to get the details ironed out. It's really that I don't know what my focus is, that I don't know what it is that is giving me joy and giving me excitement to get up in the morning. Because everything you described there is all focused on the idea of no idea. I mean, there's no, you understand <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like there, there, there's no passion in any of that. There's nothing that says to me, wow, I can hardly wait to go do X, whatever X is. And whenever, you, whenever that X is lacking, that's when we start trying to dither around with schedules and organizing and trying to get everything, get, get all the ducks in a row and so forth. Because we really don't have yeah. a very clear idea of what it is we want out of life. We don't have a really clear idea of what it is that, that's driving our motor. And when, you're, when you lack that, that is not a pleasant place to be in. More than that, it's kind of a trap. Because when you're in that trap, when you're in that place, it's like you can't ever get out of it. You know, there's never any yeah. there's never any exit strategy. And the reason there's never an exit strategy is because there's no passion. There's nothing to say, yeah, I can hardly wait. Like, uh, no, somebody else uh, in the same age group as you, somebody who might be like a skier or a snowblower or a snowboarder or a surfer or something like that, they can't wait to get up. They can't wait to go live their day. The people who, are, who live on, on ski mountains and, and who live for the, for the snowfall can't wait for the next snowfall. 
And when it comes, man, they are out there. They are just doing all yeah. that stuff they love to do. You can't keep them away from it. Schedules, organizing it, that is, that's the furthest thing from their minds, you know? And that's yeah. what, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing in you, I mean, you, you have interests and we've talked about some of those interests and they're good. Okay. You have some good interests, but I think what's really missing here is your passion. You, 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 and there's nothing wrong with this. It just means you haven't found it yet, but you just haven't found that thing that says, yeah, let's go. I can hardly wait to get out there. Am I wrong? Um, it's hard to say. I am, I guess in terms of uh career or work, yes. But I think that I'm getting closer and closer to realizing that, like, every aspect about filmmaking is what I like the most. Because with comedy, there's lots of fun parts, but a lot of it's kind of a slog. And that's kind of how most things feel. But uh, with filmmaking, that was something where... See, that's, a, that's an interesting then contrast then right there. Because you talk about how much you love filmmaking, and then in the same sentence you describe it as a slog. And I know from experience, when someone kind of does that kind of juxtaposition it means there's something about the way they're looking at this thing they supposedly love that is leading them to feel ho-hum about it see what i mean because i mean they're they're professing their love they're saying i really love this i think this stuff is great and at the same moment like one phrase later they're saying not directly but indirectly i'm i'm feeling weighed down by all this well, that isn't think, well, that isn't the passion that we're that yeah, we're talking about. That, that's like the was a bit of a slog. So, what's the other stuff? The uh, like the comparable hobbies, but I yeah, I, I, filmmaking is the one where I actually do like every aspect about it, besides uh, potentially working with other people. Um, but that's my that would be the one challenge. Ah. No, it's the the other like comedy is the one where a lot of it's a slog. Why is that? What is it about the comedy that is a slog? And by, by, by comedy, do you mean doing up uh, stand-up comedy, or do you mean building comedy into film? Uh, stand-up com- stand comedy. Stand-up. Oh, okay. I get that. You have okay. to wait in venues for hours, and okay. you might not even perform. Okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, when you're looking at filmmaking, though, you said there really isn't anything of that that you don't like. I kind yeah. of, I'll kind of replace the word like with love. So there's nothing about that that you don't love except for people, uh, where where people are involved. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, and it's so it's not even that. Uh, I've always been really introverted, and I've had to like become more social over time. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of, uh, and I I enjoy working with people when I have a good team. In fact, uh, the team that I worked with most recently was like fantastic. Oh, that's good. They were all incredible. Excellent. So most of the time, it's hard to find that. And so it's sort of the like with stand-up comedy or writing the screenplay, that's something I can do just me. Right. Like, if I fail, it's because of me. Mm-hmm. But with uh, filmmaking, it's really hard to do without a crew. And, right. I mean, we've done it, and it's just that it makes, you know, something that with the whole crew you could do in, like, two days, uh, it takes, you know, months kind of like yeah well, that makes sense you're doing it with two people yeah f- filmmaking is very rarely yeah. a solo o- occupation it's usually like you say it's a team and, and you, you anybody can tell that just look at the credits of a movie and you get a really good sense of how many people are involved in making a movie 
So, yeah, it makes total sense. And you said you did have that uh, one experience recently where the team was great to work with. Talk about that. Uh, Yeah, it was... um Every you could tell everyone wanted to be there, mm. and that was kind of like, I, I think that's to some degree pretty rare that like everyone wants to be there. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where uh, we're pretty much all on the same page to the point where even when we would kind of come to like a, well, should we do this or this? That you know it went pretty amicably mm-hmm. that everyone was able to kind of like come to a conclusion. So, yeah, I'd say, I guess, yeah, finding a, a filmmaking team. One of the things that I've I've noticed by watching interviews on, like, television shows like Inside the Actors Studio or other comparable kinds of programs that delve into the, the back end of, of the world of theater and movies and so forth is that yeah. they, the, the experiences that the people talk about the most favorably with the big smiles on their faces and so forth are the ones where they're able to collaborate in a really big way and they, they feel free to be creative contributors and, and uh, it, it, the ideas are just flying and the best, best idea wins and let's just go for it and, and, and everybody's just letting their creative juices flow, so to speak. Now, is that kind of what you're talking about? Um, somewhat... I I think in terms of brainstorming, like if there's a writer's room, that's the approach I'd use. But like if I were to be directing a film uh, and it was like the film that I had written, I would be open to all the suggestions. Mm-hmm. But making, like, to some degree, the goal of a director, as I see it, is to, to keep everything consistent, mm-hmm. uh, like tonally consistent, um, the way it's edited, consistent, the music, consistent. Because the more, cause that's one of the problems like with Hollywood is where you see, you'll have a lot of directors that their first film will be like an indie film and it'll do pretty, it'll do well enough to get them into Hollywood. But then once they have tons of money, they no longer have to be creative because they can just pay for everything they want. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of their their films start to suck. And it's like, how did you go from being so incredible on an $800,000 budget to like, now you've got millions of dollars, but nothing's good anymore. Why I think, do you think part that of is? it is, you know, you, you just buy everything you want. But the other part is that the more crew you add, the more it kind of dilutes the final product. So that if everyone is inserting their own creative aspect to it, that's good unless it conflicts with the uh, core vision. Okay. So now I want to go back to your other statement, which was, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but the gist of it was you expressed a frustration when it came to working with other people on a film project. So with this kind of as a background, talk about that. Gosh. Um, Sort of, uh, well, the one project that I worked on where there was a bit of a challenge was in, like, uh, the tonal differences. And I think by the end of it, we, we both agreed, like, okay, like, if it's your project, you'll do it. If it's my project, I'll do it. <clears throat> and everyone will help. And I, I think that was the big thing where it's like, uh, make, it's like everyone's on the same page following whoever's in control's, uh, vision. Okay. And so it's like you're allowed to be creative within these parameters. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so much of a 
with full restriction as it is like. In fact, I would say that the restrictions force you to be more creative because you have less to work with. It's kind of like once again with the budget, where the less you have to work with, the more creative you have to be. So oftentimes you'll create something better uh, from a place of, you know, like scarcity or, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of forced into to trying harder, I guess. And so that's where, like on the project we were on, people would be proposing new ideas and it was like, okay, I think I like that. Or like, maybe if we do this and that, and then kind of like aligning it to be like, okay, well, here's the vision of what we're going for. So how can you fit that in with the vision? And that seemed to work well. Okay. And I, I, yeah, I haven't worked on a, like with a professional team, I guess. So. Okay. All right. That's probably going to be part of what happens when you work with, with a, an amateur team. So that kind of makes sense. So now that we've gone into it a little bit more detailed, I, I wanted to get the details out there before I went back to the original topic, because the original topic was you wanting to get your life organized and all that, and my conjecture that that means you kind of lost track of the passion. So here's my setup question that, I, that I've been setting up for the last 15 minutes. Why yeah. or where is the passion? I mean, are you feeling passionate each day getting up like, I want to go work on my film project or what, what I want to find what the next film project is. I can hardly wait to get out there and do whatever film project is, is on my list right now. Um, not yet getting there. I guess I should like add or clarify that in regards to organization, like I write everything on notes and so I had all these like papers everywhere mm-hmm. and sort of no way to consolidate uh, my my tangible brain, I guess you could call it, which is like all the ideas that I've laid out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I needed to design a system to kind of consolidate that, to like my to-do list and sort of all of that in like a way that, you know, properly incentivizes it for me. Incentivizes so I, I my focus this week was to like literally clear my mind and like sort of metaphorically clear my mind so that now I feel comfortable to write film projects. See, more, that's, a, that's an interesting word you use. You said to incentivize it, to create the list, to incentivize it. Why incentivize? Because this is what I'm going at. It, it, to me, it sounds like if you're really excited about this, you don't need any incentive. And yet, here you are saying you need to have a list to create some incentive, and I don't quite understand why. Um. Well, the incentivizing one is more for, uh, it, it's just more of a to-do list or like a list of things I can choose from that either need to happen or that I'd like to happen. And then sort of, uh, I've designed it like a video game where all the things on the to-do list are quests that each have uh, experience points at the end of it, sort of just a different scale. Um like one experience point if I like meal prep or like three experience points if I like buy the, you know, the memory foam mattress that I'm saving up for. So in that terms, it's more of like just a tangible way. So at the end of the month, I could be like, oh, like 70 experience points. Well, I did a lot this month. And so that's sort of like, I think it's the the self-validation uh, that comes with that, which is something I've always had a problem with. So like you just like moving on to the next thing and pushing forward without ever like taking, getting out of the car and stretching and looking around and being like, oh, this is where I drove to, you know? So basically, so, but use, in terms of using gamification, that's the current term for that gamification game uh, methodologies in order to uh, kind of 
provide tracking for your life to, to give you uh, the incentive to keep going with all the, the going after the little goals you have outside of filmmaking and and uh, basically go after the stuff that you want to go after. You're trying to create an incentive program for that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's that's usually an indication. Whenever you have to create an incentive program, I mean, I I, I say this kind of um, I, I'm trying to say this as respectfully as I can, knowing how how popular games are and how popular game theory is, uh, because they're really really popular right now, and the whole idea of using game theory as a way to kind of structure one's life or structure one's approach to a project or to a job is a very popular approach. But I still think there's something missing from that. And I, I'll go back to what I said before. The thing that's missing is passion. If you have passion for something, I'm telling you, you don't need to do lists. Because when, you, when you're passionate about something, you can't get through whatever the list would be fast enough. And when you can't get through fast enough, you don't have time to make the list because you're, you're, you, by the time you got the list made, you're done. You've already finished all the tasks that are on it because you're so driven to do all this stuff because it's fun, it's passionate, it's interesting, it's driving you. So anytime I hear somebody talking about making a list, the first thought that goes to my mind is where's their passion? Because the passion clearly isn't there if they're having to make lists. And I'm not saying there's no role for playing lists either. I mean, I, I've, I've made lists too, but I don't have to sweat over it. If I have a list of things to do, I can make the list in five minutes. Even if it's not a list that I can get through today, I can still make it in five minutes. It doesn't take long. As long as there's a passion going on, as long as there's a, a driving emotional desire to live in some way, to really live. It's only when that driving emotional desire is missing, that's when I find myself wanting to make lists. Because what I'm really trying to do is I'm kind of stumbling around trying to find my mojo. Yeah, I guess that's... I, I mean, I agree with that, stumbling around trying to... Yeah. Part. So... Other part. I would say instead of trying instead of trying to find a list and trying instead of trying to put lists together, why not delve a little bit deeper inside yourself and, and ask yourself what what is it that I want and what's standing in my way? Get to the root of it a little bit more. Because I'm telling that, you, once you unleash that passion, it, it's gonna make it so much easier for you. Probably, I actually was working on those questions. Oh really? Uh, okay. Yeah. And the, the, I use lists and, and different, I use them because I think about too many different things mm -hmm. that my, my memory is not as powerful as my ability to think about different things. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand so, that too. <laughs> like the lists are like the part of my brain that's outside of my body. Okay. Sort of like a memory bank. But I wouldn't, yeah, with the film stuff, I don't really write lists for the film stuff. So I think the passion's there. I think it was more, I'd say for me, it's been more that there's like this kind of uh, like mental clutter and physical clutter in my room. Um, but probably more so the like the physical clutter, I, I cleared out my, like I purged like half of my stuff. Good for you. So that feels like, so now I have like a, uh, I have a desk just for writing and a table just for board games. That's Very like good. my room. Excellent. Um, the mental clutter is the one where it's like, 
like you're saying, figuring out what really matters. Because for me, I'll have a hundred plans, but then it's like, well, welcome to reality, you choose two. And so that's where I'm at. And I actually did write a bunch the other night, so I have been getting back into it. But sort of like you're saying, the finding the mojo part again, or like every, I think it's like everything else bogs me down, might be what it is. But there's like a lot of things that, that get in the way that uh that I'm not I guess immediately able to perceive the size of the roadblock if that makes sense so that something might I might be like oh my gosh like I didn't I didn't realize it just took me three hours to do stuff in the kitchen because mm-hmm. I'm not good at kitchen stuff you know so now it's like oh if I don't have time to do this tonight then I have to choose and it sort of like bogs me down to where I don't write but on the nights that I do write. Um, I mean, so far it's only been three occasions, but they were all like, is superb. But that was like three within several months. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by writing, you mean by Maybe writing you... script, or do you mean writing your list? What kind of writing are you talking about? Uh, the sc- uh, the screenplay. Screenplay. Okay. So. All right. So, yes, maybe it's the consistency of, of forcing myself to just sit down and, and see what happens. Uh, but see, that's where I think you're off track. Right there. Because the moment you have to force yourself is the moment you're not relying on passion. Um, you also made another comment that I thought was kind of interesting. You, you said something like, and I don't remember exactly what the wording was, um, you, you, you said you wanted to think out what was on your list. That's not exactly what you said, but it was, that was the gist of it. And I'm thinking... That means you're spending too much time in your head and not enough time in your heart. Because you really yeah. can't you really can't figure out a list, of, especially of things to do that are important to you. You you have to feel that out. It has to be in here. It has to be in 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 your chest. It has to be in the heart of who you are. That's where you have to look for it. So it's not about thinking it out at all. If you see what I mean, it's about feeling it. Yeah, out. I like that a lot. Right. So I might at least start. I mean, you can use the law of attraction for this, by the way. This is the, this is the perfect kind of law of attraction uh, application to have. Um, and I'm going to refer to what Abraham talks about when they describe the process of how when you focus on a thought and the feeling associated with that thought for it used to be 17 seconds. My friend Louis is now telling me it's down to 14 seconds. So apparently it's all shrinking, which is probably a good thing. But uh, if you hold on, let's go with 14 seconds. If you hold on to the thought for 14 seconds and you're focused on it and you're emotionally tying yourself up to it and so forth, you know, feeling it out, after that 14 seconds, the law of attraction uh, through source energy will send another thought of the similar kind to you. So in other words, you'll get the next thought in the sequence in a sense. And then if you focus on that one for another 14 to 17 seconds, that will send you another thought. And if you focus on that one for another 14 to 17 seconds, that will send you another thought. You do that four times, so somewhere between 56 and 68 seconds, you know, around a minute. Then you'll start to manifest something physically by continuing to focus on that. So they're they're describing this process of how a thought leads to another thought, leads to another thought, leads to another thought, and eventually starts leading to manifestations that kind of harden into reality over time. That's the process as described by Abraham Hicks. Well, you can take advantage of that. I mean, if what you want to do is to uh, come up with ideas from inside, 
and the, the, the word idea, we usually think of that as coming from the brain, but I'm talking about, about ideas that come from your internal connection with who you are, from your internal Drew, so yeah. to speak, your inner Drew. You know, when, when you're trying to connect to those ideas, that this is a great time to use the law of attraction. You start with your one first idea. It doesn't even have to be a core idea. Just this one idea it can be a request. Like, I want to, I want to identify what it is that, that's going to make me feel really passionate right now. That could be your question. Or it could be, um, what is it that I really want to focus on? Or, you know, however you want to structure the, the question, you, you focus on that for you know, 14 to 17 seconds and see what comes to you. And then once something comes to you that you can see has some kind of connection, even if you can't tell where it's going, you focus on that for another 14 to 17 seconds. And you keep doing this process of just letting the idea come to you by focusing on one, on the one that just came. You see what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I when looking back, I had a moment like that recently where it was like a, like a manic, 45 minutes of that. Yeah. Manic is a good word, isn't it? Because it it starts to build, doesn't it? You can feel the emotion of it build. That's one of the things that's really big about this process. Um, We talk a lot about how important it is to focus on the feeling along with the thought. But it's really true that when we do this thought after thought after thought process where it's all coming intuitively, all coming inside of ourselves, the more we focus on it, the more the emotion builds throughout that minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, 45 minutes, as you said. It just starts to build and build and build and build. And now that's where passion comes from. Passion comes from like this overwhelming emotional attachment to whatever it is we're talking about, right? So I would take advantage of that if I were you. Don't worry about trying to make lists. Focus on developing your your trains of thought. Your trains of, and by thought, I don't mean thought up in the brain. I mean the thought coming from inside, from your heart, from who you really are deep down inside. Work, get on, work on that, getting that going. Don't worry about the lists. lists will, I swear, once you get that going, you'll find that lists will be the smallest task of your day. <laughs> it really will be. <laughs> it will not take a lot of time. The only thing that's holding you back yeah. is here, the heart. That's the only thing that's yeah, holding you back right now. Yeah, that's always, that's my my personality type to some degree. Well, it's also your choices. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean this uh, in a critical way. I mean, this is what we all do. We choose our thought patterns. We don't necessarily do it all with deliberate intent. Sometimes we just do it by default by whatever's coming along, but we're still choosing them. Like, yes, I, there's, my, there's my other thought. Yep, I, I say that's my thought. You know, so we're choosing them. All we're, all we're really talking about here is deciding to choose them differently making different selections and making them based on what's going on down here. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to work on that. Been a, been a, one of the big life challenges been reconnecting my brain to my heart. Good news is that it's already connected. I mean, really all you're trying to do is not yeah. reconnect it. All you're really trying to do is to notice the activation, to notice that it's already there. What we tend to do very often as human beings is we try to keep all of our activity up here. But that's a choice. And if we let go of that choice say, well, I've got to figure this out. If we let go of that, we let go of I've got to reason this out. I've got to logically, you know, string this together. Leave that part out of the conversation. The heart comes right into it. You don't really have to work it. It's just just letting go of that logical process. That logical process is what slows us down. Huh. That basically conflicts with my entire existence. Why is that? 
Oh, that's just my, I mean, the way my brain works, um, and I've looked into it with like psychology tests and stuff, but my brain completely functions on uh, logic and being rational. Although I, I could, you could argue that being rational is subjective, but uh, sort of that um, for my personality type, uh, people like this, they, the brain will use logic to block out emotions and so it's been sort of a gradual process of, of like recognizing that I even have because when I was a kid you just like described my mom it. was like yeah huh you just described it beautifully it's exactly what happens the logic blocks out the emotions yeah and that's something I my mom's worked on that with me since I was a kid so like right now like when I was a kid I had like no emotions and uh, they, yeah, they thought I had no soul. That's what she said. She's like, when you were oh. a kid, we thought you had no soul. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, come a long way. Well, good. So I'm glad you made the progress. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I have learned, and I was in many ways self-trained along the lines of what you're talking about. Self-trained, and I was trained by my society, too, uh, to be a very logical person. I was very logical, very rational. Um, and it did not serve me. So over time, I had to unlearn that in a sense. What I found made the most difference was getting out into the world just to enjoy whatever I can find in the world that I enjoy. Like for me, one of my first things to discover was I love nature. Not as an ecologist, not as somebody trying to save the earth or something like that. I just love being out in nature. I just, I like the colors. Yeah. I like the smells. I especially like it. My, my favorite kind of day is a, a day in the upper 60s, lower 70s, blue sky, sunny, uh, little puffy white clouds, mostly blue sky, um, spring scents in the air, animals running all over the place, uh, color everywhere. Just color, brilliant color everywhere. I mean, a spring day is like my favorite day of the year. And if I, on those days when I have that, I'm in, I'm in heaven. I mean, just taking a walk in that, for me, is like the best thing in the world. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be that for you necessarily. I'm simply describing to you that I found just some mundane, simple, plain, everyday activity. Going out for a walk in nature, I found that that, get, that fed my soul. It fed me emotionally. It, it, it helped me yeah. bring my emotions out. So if I were you, I'd be focusing on trying to find more stuff like that. Stuff that that's, that sings your song, that, that resonates with you inside. and Because that's how you're going to get those emotions out. You can't reason them out. You can't logic them out. It doesn't work. You have to actively uh, tap into emotions on a regular basis, or a more regular basis, let's put it that way, if you want to uh, incorporate them into your daily process. So that's where I would start if I were you. I would be sitting down trying to make lists. I'd be getting out into the world and doing whatever your X, Y, and Z are that you find helps you to stimulate your own emotional uh, attachment better. Okay. That's, yeah, I like that. I mean, what, what, what floats your boat emotionally? What, what kind of stuff really just gets you going that makes you feel good, makes you feel like you're alive? I mean, definitely nature. Uh, like you're saying, and I have like okay. lately I've been taking Mimi outside in the morning and just watching what she does. Yeah, and then uh, 
like reading. I've been trying to get into reading more, like mm-hmm. just uh, putting it into my schedule and mm-hmm. really immersing myself in in different books and different experiences. What do you love about reading? Um, that's a great question. I, I wish I knew how to answer that. Maybe, I mean, reading, ba- for me, like I want to be a film director, so mm-hmm. it's basically like I get to direct the book in my head. And really? Then, uh, that's my experience of it. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's uh, you know when I, when I'm reading it, I'm visualizing it and like you know translating that into a into a, a visual narrative, I guess. That that jazzes you. That makes you feel good. That activity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, strategy, like you know, strategy board games, card games. Video games, reading. I'm reading Clausewitz's Principles of War. Uh, anything that involves like really complex stuff. Uh, so you like that kind of thing. You like that strategizing aspect. Yeah, in the right context. Right. Like I mean, I, I did math like all of college, and I didn't enjoy math, but that's because it was in you know, it was in economics or something. <laughs> but I think that if it was like applied to something I was interested in, that I probably would enjoy it more. But not that that would be my uh, fun or passion, really. No, it doesn't necessarily have to be your passion. What it has to be is, is enjoyable. It has to be something that tap that connects to you emotionally and and helps you feel more alive in a sense. And and, and that's what you've identified. You've identified three things: getting out into nature, um, reading. And playing strategy games. There's there's three different ways that you now know consciously you can use to effectively feed your soul, right? Yeah. So that's what I would do if I were you. I'd be looking for ways to spend more time doing those things and doing them passionately, doing them like throwing yourself into them and getting really excited as you're doing them. Say, yes, I'm going to do this exciting thing that I love doing so much. In fact, you, you might even get overexcited. Especially if when you're starting, like you get out on on a nature walk or something, you know, throw your arms in the air and say, "Yes, I'm out on a nature walk." <laughs> you know, build yeah. build it up a little bit, milk it, juice it, give it give it some give it some extra flavor, and then as you're doing whether it's a nature walk or the reading or you know the strategy games or whatever, as you're doing whatever that activity is, turn up the volume. You know, accelerate it, turn up the volume, make it louder, make it brighter. Make it more powerful in your mind because that's how you're going to build that connection. Uh, or it, it isn't even build it. it it's, it's re-energize it. You're going to re-energize that connection to your heart much faster that way than any other way I know of. Okay. And when I really you do, like that, yeah. And when you do that, you're going to find lists go right out the window. <laughs> They're just not even going to be important anymore. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I guess. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I'm not sure what it was. Because um, for a while I was doing pretty well. I think probably college like ruined everything. The <laughs> factory reset, you know. Where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have to restructure my mind. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I want to remind our listeners: this is uh, the, Drew and I are basically talking about stuff to help him along, but. Um, this is also a Q and A. So if you're listening to the live stream, uh, by all means, uh, 
if you have any comments or questions, share them, and we'll be happy to include them in what we're talking about here. Um, but uh, because I've, I've seen a couple of people saying hello, and I want to say hello back. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Bronwyn. Uh, but, you know, other than that, I haven't seen a whole lot. So we'll incorporate you once you include some comments. Until then, we're just going to keep talking, trying to help Drew out a little bit. So that's my little promo for people who are listening to the live stream. Um, oh, and I also want to make a, uh, my, my announcement. I, I realized I've been missing this the last couple of podcasts, but uh, I try to get in every podcast the idea that uh, we want people to become subscribers to the podcast. And hopefully most of you are subscribers. If you're not yet a subscriber, please become one because then you get all the episodes coming right to your smartphone. Um, the instructions on how to do it are found in most of the places where this uh, live stream or podcast uh, recording are, are stored in the description. If you don't see the links there for becoming a subscriber, just go to the homepage of our website, LOAToday.net, and you'll just find the, the links right there for Android users or for Apple iPhone users or iPad users and just follow the steps like the regular wizard and click, click, click. It'll just walk you right through it. And also, please share the fact that you're listening to LOA today with people who you think might be interested in this and, and you know, comment and, and like and so forth. That'll help other people find it as well because we're trying to get more and more people out there to get their daily dose of happy. And so now I've done it. I've done my due diligence, Lou, I, or Drew. I've gotten my, my word out there for the day. The announcements are made. <laughs> What I need is to have somebody like you make a film about it. That's what it is. Yeah, I, yeah. Let's uh, let me make all the films that I've written first, and then. Oh, okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll put it on the list. It's on the list. Okay. All right. Yeah. But we'll back burner it. That's fine. <laughs> that that's just it. There's there's so many so many things. But I, I really do that's strongly recommend that you, you focus on that emotional stuff. The the stuff that that makes your life sing, the stuff that makes you wake up. I mean, you were describing how waking up is really tough for you. Getting up, your, your stomach's all churning, your guts are all churning. It doesn't sound like a very pleasant experience in the morning. And I'm telling you, if you focus yeah. a lot more on what floats your boat, on the stuff that, make, that, that just fuels you, you're going to find that happens a lot less often, too. In fact, if you can focus consistently on... Things like nature, on the book reading, on the strategy games, and so forth. If you can focus more on that and do it every, do at least one of those things every single day, you will get to the point where you no longer have any mornings where you're waking up with your guts churning, because you'll be rediscovering your purpose. You'll be rediscovering what what fuels your life. Once you know what fuels your life, it's easy to get up. I mean, it reminds me of a story of my, of, of my wife. My wife, um, about, um, when did she start? She started about, uh, I want to say 10 years ago. She was into doing what they call trash a treasure. She would go to yard sales and tag sales in the area every Saturday morning and find stuff to buy that she would either use as a foundational piece to build something else to sell, something, you know, some sort of an improved thing, or she'd just turn around and do a resale of it. But she just loved getting out yeah. there and finding stuff. And the funny thing is, Louise, most of the time, has never been much of an, an early morning person. I mean, she was the kind of person who would prefer to sleep in late. When she did get up, she'd be dragging around. 
except when Saturday morning came. Saturday morning, 5.30, boom, she was up by 6, she was out the door, see you in about 8 hours, and that was it. I never saw her for like the, you know, until late in the afternoon, and then she came back and her car was jammed to the gills with all the stuff that she'd found at tag sales that she loved so much. She was so jazzed that there was nothing that was going to stop her. She was, it, it, she was just living life whenever she would do that. You know? That's the kind of thing that I think will happen to you. That's that's funny you mentioned that because I'm actually super into garage sailing and I've never really <laughs> considered. Yeah, that's the only time I can actually get up in the morning. Is right. I'm like, oh, do it. This is yeah. So, yeah. Like, so you know what I mean. Brilliant. Yeah. You know what yeah. that feels like. Okay. I know that. Okay, that's good. Now I know what the feeling's like. Now to provide that. Exactly. Maybe that's it. Is I never do. I have this. Uh, for some reason, I think that work should be done in the morning, but maybe I just need to. To do fun things in the morning and the night and the day. Well, it, I, I wouldn't even worry about the schedule. I really wouldn't because I know what that's like. And when the, the moment that you're worried about what the schedule should be is the moment you're focused on the wrong thing. What you need yeah. to focus on is where, where are the things to do, you know, the things to experience that light you up. That's what you want to look for. And yes, I know you can't do that all day long. We all have responsibilities, things we have to do at various times. Yeah. But you don't have to pre-schedule that. You already know when you're going to have to do that stuff anyway. You know, so don't worry about scheduling it. Just look for all the opportunities you can in a day to sample one or more of the things that light you up. Just okay. do that. Just that's the, that's your whole responsibility. Just look for what makes you what makes you tick. What makes you feel good? We live in a feeling universe. That was the big insight that I had when I first learned, actually shortly after I first learned about the law of attraction. We don't live in a logical universe. I thought we did. For the longest time, for years, I thought we lived in a logical universe. In a universe of, of rationality. Yeah. Almost a, a mechanistic universe. But not even close. And indeed, when I tried to play out my life along those lines, I was invariably disappointed because it turns out life isn't logical. Life isn't rational. Life doesn't yeah, play exactly. out that way. It just doesn't. I mean, you know that from the subject matter of what you love for, for uh, films and, and music and so forth. Your, 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 your yeah. love deals with topics that are all about things going wrong. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like the, the big theme that goes on with... with these uh, uh, these genres that you like so much, things going wrong. Now, so clearly, the universe yeah. doesn't work rationally; it doesn't work logically. That leaves only one possibility. Yeah. I have thought about that a lot because I always thought I was rational and logical, but then when you actually think about it, it just depends on what the parameters are. Because, like, so I'll give an example. When I was a kid, like a young kid, I didn't understand empathy because my brain was just purely logical like mm -hmm. even i've always been that way too i'd rather know the truth if it was terrible rather than you know to feel better or like i'll make a decision based on which logical rather than if it's like you know even if it's an emotionally tough one or whatever mm -hmm. um but as a kid my mom was like oh i'm gonna bring cookies to the neighbor's kid and i'm like but why would you do that like that's just us spending money to lose cookies <laughs> and she's like well he doesn't have a dad and his life's a lot harder and that as a kid i didn't understand that like emotions didn't mean anything to me 
And so that wasn't factored into to my perception of what's a rational decision. But as I got older and, like, developed a sense of empathy and when it finally, like, clicked, it was like, oh, uh, you have to factor empathy into rational decisions. And, and I so suspect, it's, like, further... I suspect, I suspect you know part, I mean? of her, part of her answer, she probably said what you said, but it was probably also, well, it's a it's a nice thing to do because I, I want to give them cookies. I want to give him cookies because he'll like them. I will enjoy the yeah. fact that he will like them. You know, that was another reason to give the cookies. It was just because it felt good. It felt good to give the cookies. Yeah. Which which is a rational decision. Yeah. It's both, actually. It's emotional yeah. and it's rational. <laughs> it's both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I realized was that all rational decisions are subjective and they're limited to the kind of just the parameters that you set and that what you what you think is rational. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally agree. Uh, nothing's actually very rational. And, you know, it helps for, like, economic decisions and stuff oh, yeah. like that. But yeah. outside of that, uh, yeah, not always that useful. And even with economic, actually economic decisions are very rarely rational. Believe it or not. And all purchase decisions are not rational. All of them are emotional in, in their primary foundation. I can give, I'll tell you a story yeah. that, that illustrates it. Um, this is actually a classic sales story. Um, guy goes into a, a car dealership. He has a family, and he needs to get a car for his family. He goes into the car dealership, and you know how in the showroom they have like two or three model cars to show you like what their best sellers are and so forth. Yeah. He sees an SUV, and he can just tell it's very likely exactly what his family needs. But he also sees a red sports car. They're both on the showroom floor. And he's really drawn to that red sports car. And he goes over and he's looking at that sports car and he's loving it. I mean, his eyes are just drinking it in. Because he can imagine himself, you know, out in the highway, the top down, hair flying, all that kind of stuff. He was just dreaming about how wonderful it would be to be driving that sports car. And the salesman sees his look on his face and says, hey, thanks for coming in. Can I help you? And, And the guy says, oh, no, that's all right. I was just kind of looking. He said, oh, no, I saw that. Look, you love that car, don't you? The guy says, yeah, yeah, I do like that car. And the salesman um, starts walking through the steps of trying to get him to buy the car. Well, after a long conversation, the guy ends up buying the SUV. Despite the fact that he loved that car, that, that convertible so much, he ended up buying the SUV. And most people would say he made that decision on a rational basis because his family needed a car and uh, you know, a red convertible would not be a practical car for his family. His family needed room for all the kids to be sitting in the car in the back, his wife in the, the passenger seat, him in the, in the driver's seat. They need to have room in the back for storing stuff if they're toting stuff around. They need to have all these different features that an SUV provides for them. So most people say that's a rational decision, right? Yeah. No, it's not. You know why he bought that SUV? He bought it because he loved his family. It was a love decision. It wasn't a rational decision. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I could definitely... See, that's that's the way we make economic choices. That's the way we make um, purchase choices. We emotionally attach to a reason. And then we rationalize it to justify our choice. 
So he yeah. emotionally knew he wanted to buy that car for his family, and then he rationalized it by pointing to all the different features that would make that a good decision. That's how we buy things. That's very interesting. Yeah, young young Drew would not have understood that. Now I, I put it, yeah. So really, emotion drives everything in our lives. We know that that's part of LOA theory, but it's also just part of how life works. Emotion drives everything. Emotion is behind everything. Emotion is what makes all of life worthwhile. Emotion is where all of the flavor comes from. It's where the spice comes from. Because we get emotionally attached to doing all this cool stuff, buying these things or doing these things or having these careers or having these relationships or whatever it might be. The emotion drives all of it. That's why I'm saying spend more time playing to your emotions. Spend more time on the stuff that you know creates an emotional response inside yourself. And when you do, the law of attraction takes over and it ends up delivering to you more and more ideas about things that you would love, that you enjoy, that you like, and actually starts filling in gaps on things that you've already said, yes, I like that, but I'm not sure how to get there or how to attract it or how to make that into a career or whatever it is. It fills in the gaps for yeah. you because you're tapped into the emotional. Okay. Yeah, I like that a lot. Does that confuse yeah, you at think, all? Yeah. Huh? Does that confuse you at all? No, no, I'm just, I had to write it down. I wrote down all of, I've got like two pages of notes from. from oh, okay. Talk. I was, yeah, no, I, I think that it's interesting because it feels like by the end of each talk, I, I come to some revelation through, you know, what you're saying. And then, and then it's like building blocks to see where I was at before the podcast and then, you know, now, before we started even doing them, you know, and now I think it's, yeah. So, and by the way, I got to take, take a second here. I got to take a second for a personal reason because I see somebody has checked into the live stream audience who was a friend of mine when I was a teenager. Uh, Gary just, just uh, popped in and said, good to see you. Hey, Gary, it's good to see you too. Uh, Gary and I reconnected for the first time uh, after many, many years back when uh, Louise and I were still living in, in uh, Virginia. And uh, I mean, it was quite the amazing thing, but uh, wow. I mean, we haven't talked in a while, so Gary, we'll have to have a conversation soon, but it's so good to see your name appearing in the, uh, on the list there. So just, just wanted to give a little personal message there. Thanks for dropping by, Guy. Good to see you. <laughs> See, that's the kind of thing. That's what life's all about, right, Drew? The stuff that, that makes you feel good. Yeah. The stuff that makes you feel good inside. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, that's what I need to figure out, I guess. Yeah, you don't figure it out. You feel it. You don't feel figure it out. It out. You, don't, right. you don't figure it. it. Figuring is not the way to go. Feeling it. You, you, go, you, you try to do everything that helps you to feel. Anything that helps you to feel. Uh, Gary and I, were, uh, uh, we were musicians together. We, we would play musically. And I mean, that's all about feel. That's all about, you know, the emotion that's attached to it. And uh, we had a lot of good fun doing that. That, that was a, like one of the best ways that I had when I was at that age to get my emotions out. Well, you gotta do the same kinds of things with the stuff that you love. You just gotta spend more and more time doing that stuff. Jerry, let me tell you about him. I mean, he just, he went, for, uh, I, I learned about this afterward cause we, we lost touch after high school, but he went through one step after another doing these things that he loved. 
He had a whole series of things that he did that he really, really loved, and it, it created a wonderful life for him just because he followed his heart. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good example, then. Yeah. That's the, yeah, gosh. Yeah, that's, I think that's what I definitely needed to, to hear and get the guidance on, so I'm glad that, you know, I'll feel it out. Absolutely. Feel it out. Go for the feel. Go for the stuff that makes you say, yes, I can hardly wait to get up this morning. Because you already know that. I mean, you, you, you already identified that you had the same passion that Louise had. You, you've experienced that through the, 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 the doing the garage sales and the tag sales and so forth. You know what that's like. Yeah. So you know the feeling. You know the one that you're going for. You're trying to find anything that leads you to that feeling. Okay. Yeah. Gosh. So actually, we can simplify. You, you said at the beginning of this that you were going to try to, to get organized and get your list created and so forth. Let's let's create your your very very short to do list. What's your first okay. to do item? What's your very first to do item on your first your, the first thing that's on your list that you can think of that you know will will create an emotional response? What's the first thing you want to do? Uh, probably read. Okay. And, yeah, finish and you, the book that I've been reading. And you can do it now with some enthusiasm. Because now you know, you have you have a good reason to do it, right? Now you have a reason to yeah. say, okay, I, I can justify this. I've got a reason. I'm okay. Now you can just follow your passion. You've gotten past the reason part. Okay. Right? Because the reason is just knowing that it'll be good for you. It feels good. It feels good. It's all about how it feels. Follow your heart. What um, Joseph Campbell, the, the theologian, the, uh, theologian slash psychologist, uh, wrote. He, he wrote, follow your bliss. Following your bliss is life. That, that's, that's life with the cherry on top. Following what just makes you feel absolutely joyful. I like that a lot. Yeah. Who said that? Joseph Campbell. Wrote a number of really interesting books. Theologically re uh, related, but also um, touching on psychology in a lot of ways. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. My, my mind functions in uh, advice and in quotes. A lot, mm -hmm. kind of as a, a sort of a baseline or like a support structure, like uh, like fortune favors the bold. That one's helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, just always like always like different. Uh, well, I put this one at your top of your list. Follow your bliss. It's it's, it's the most yeah, important like one. Actually, even Abraham Hicks has cited that one. They've they've cited that as, as what they think is the best description of how to. Uh, live your life in, as the happiest life you can live. Follow your bliss. So, with that in mind, we're nearing the end of our hour, but I hope it's been helpful for not only for you, but also for our listeners. And uh, oh, yeah. you'll have to give us a report next week about uh, what you were doing to follow your bliss this week. 
Yeah, I'm excited. I think that was the uh, the guidance I need. All right, good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you to everyone who tuned in, and we'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. See yeah. ya.